Welcome to First Fleet Tim 4. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of the First Fleet 10-4 podcast. Uh, we're getting the hang of this now, and we're, we're, we're moving along and, and learning how to record and even listen to ourselves these days. So we, we're back with you with another uh, week of, of safety. And um, uh, my name is Mark McKnight, and I'm glad to be a part of this uh, project with you. And um, we are with John Cole again today. Hello, everybody. Glad to be speaking with you this morning. John has been with us uh, a couple of times now and given us some great training and some information to uh, to help us be successful on the road. And uh, and today's is just kind of more of a timely update of what's going on in the industry and what's going on with us specifically, you know, some things to address. And we want to get this information out here to you as timely as possible, especially with what some things are coming up. And, and John, I know we've got something coming up uh, this week uh, in regards to it's going to be very important, not just to First Fleet, but, but for the industry overall for commercial vehicles, if you want to give us an update on that. Okay, what's coming up uh, is the Road Check 2020. And that'll be scheduled for September 9th through the 11th. And uh, this is considered to be the largest inspection blitz of the year. And uh, this 72-hour uh, enforcement spree will have special emphasis this year on driver compliance and requirements. And uh, so inspectors will collect and verify the driver's documents. They'll identify the motor carrier. They'll examine the driver's license. They'll check the driver's record of duty status. And they'll review periodic inspection reports. Okay, and then uh, ELD records, which is basically the driver logs, um, are going to be checked by the electronic transfer method instead of the officer actually getting getting in the truck and looking at the logs on the the tablet or on the uh, Omnitrax unit. Uh, They are going to be having the driver actually transfer their logs to them. So there's minimal contact between the officers and the drivers. And uh, so our drivers need to be sure they know how to transfer those logs. You know, anybody that's started with the platform science, it's pretty simple. And in Omnitrax, it's not very hard at all. If uh, you don't know how to do that, please speak with your manager, your uh, on-site uh, uh, driver trainer, or call into safety. We'll, we'll let you know how to do that. Is, are there instructions in the trucks? Yes, there's instructions on the um, visor card on how to do that. Uh, but drivers need to know how to do it before they have a, an officer standing there wanting them. So it's something good to make sure that we are good to go before we, we, we take off on that September 9th, way before that. Absolutely. And, and, and some states start a little early. Uh, some states will actually go a little late as far as really inspecting trucks, but there'll, there'll still be a huge presence of officers out there inspecting during that uh, 72-hour blitz. Okay. Um, in, inspectors will also check the driver's medical certificate and their uh, daily vehicle inspection reports. And uh, so if you had a DOT inspection within the last three months, I hope that you did a DVIR on it because they'll be wanting to see it. And that's going to be in, still on the, the tablet unless somebody's went in and deleted it, which I hope they haven't, you know. And the DVIR is during a DOT inspection. It's, it's company policy. Yes, yes. Anytime there's an inspection, we want a DVIR, especially if defects are found. But we want a DVR even if no defects are found for both the tractor and trailer. Um, they'll also focus on seatbelt usage, uh, illness, fatigue, and any evidence of alcohol or drug possession or impairment. And while the focus on the inspections will be on the driver qualifications, uh, inspectors will most likely go ahead and do a level one inspection, which is a 34 or 37 point uh, inspection. And uh, they'll be checking for cargo securement, driveline components, components exhaust systems, frames, fuel systems, lights, steering, suspension, tires, and more. It's just a full-blown inspection. And uh, if no violations are found, then the inspectors will apply a CBSA decal to the truck, and that indicates that the uh, truck has passed a decal-eligible inspection uh, conducted by by a CVSA certified inspector. Okay, So the big question is, are 
you as a driver going to be ready and is your truck going to be ready? You know, they, they don't play games on this. So please make sure you not only do a good pre-trip on your trucks uh, and trailers, but you also do a pre-trip, so to speak, on yourself and make sure you've got everything you need. Make sure you've got your CDL with you when you're on the road, um, you know, and all that stuff. Make sure if you wear glasses, you've got them on. They're not laying on the dash. Uh, if you've got a hearing aid, you've got an extra battery with you items like that all right so basically everything you just said is goes back to the old saying always be prepared be prepared pre-trip 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 that, that'll help you in the long run okay all right okay. well thank you for providing that uh, and uh, i think you know basically on down the line we've got uh, something coming at the end of the month and I know that everybody's mm-hmm. gonna be very interested in i know that there's a, a lot of technology pieces and a whole lot of things going on behind the scenes to make sure that everybody's prepared for this uh, if you want to kind of give us some updates on that what's coming at the end of the month okay we, we've got some hours of service uh, changes on the horizon um these changes are going to take place um, on September 29th, not before. And uh, the first one is the adverse driving conditions exception. And uh, before, on the adverse driving conditions, you were only given an extra two hours on your 14 to get somewhere to park. Uh, they did not give you any extra drive time. And uh, so now they've changed that where they give you an extra two hours of drive time plus the two hours of 14, you know, on duty time. So, uh, so that would give you 13 hours of drive time and 16 hours of, of working time okay. to get somewhere where you can park safely. And, um, and now this is only um, uh, works uh, when um, there's unexpected weather conditions or traffic conditions. Um, if you live in Maine and they've been talking about snow or you live in Illinois and they've been talking about snow, you know, a bad, bad blizzard coming through for a week, on the Weather Channel, then that does not count because you've been made aware of that beforehand. Um, if you live in Tennessee and they say we're going to have some flurries and it winds up being, you know, 13 inches, which, which that did happen at one time, not been a while back, but it did happen, uh, then yes, that would, would you know, uh, be eligible for the adverse driving conditions. Um, traffic jams, rush hour traffic, stuff like that, that doesn't count. But if you're uh, on the interstate and there's been a, a real bad wreck and they've shut the interstate down, then that would um, would count towards the adverse driving conditions. Okay. And from my understanding, just so I can, I can understand it, and if there's any questions out there, as far as being aware of it before, mm-hmm. so basically if I am dispatched, when, my, when I am dispatched on a load, mm-hmm. then that I, I, there cannot be any foreknowledge of that right. type of adverse condition coming right. from point A to point B, from where my origin to destination is, correct? Absolutely. And it, and it also says drivers or their dispatchers, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, if either one of them knows about, you know, the, um, the adverse conditions ahead of time, then you can't use that, you know, um, uh, exception. Yeah. Okay. And um, the next thing that, um, that they're going to have um, that's going to be uh, taking place is revisions to the 30-minute rest break. And right now, when a driver takes his 30-minute rest break, he must be off-duty or in the sleeper berth, logging it either way, off-duty or sleeper berth. You can't be working. You can't be driving, of course. And uh, But they've made some changes in that. And basically, um, uh, the old way, too, once you started your day, within eight hours, you had to take the 30-minute rest break. Now, um, they've changed it to where you have you can be driving for eight hours, not not driving and working, but driving for eight hours before you have to take it. And then when you take it, you can also take it um, as, you know, on duty. You know, you can be unloading at a store. You can be fueling. Um, don't think it would take a driver 30 minutes to fuel his truck, so you might not want to use the 30-minute rest break while you're fueling, you know, and then block the line, 
you know, sitting on the fuel island while you've already finished fueling. Because once that truck moves, you're yeah, right that brake yeah, ends. Yeah, because you're driving then. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but you know, it, it's, it's going to help drivers. You know, and basically the, the DOT wants you just to get out from underneath the wheel. That's what they're doing. And that gets your mind off the road, and it, it does refresh you, even if you're doing other work duties. So that's why they've allowed uh, drivers to start using the 30-minute rest break even while you're on duty. So that doesn't mean you can't take it while in the sleeper or while off duty for a lunch break or whatever, but you can also do it while you're doing work-related on-duty functions also, okay? And then the last one would be revisions to the split sleeper berth exception, and um, this allows drivers to split their required 10-hour sleeper berth into two different periods. As of right now, it's an eight-and-two split. You have to be in the sleeper for a full eight hours, and then you can take the two hours either off-duty or in the sleeper, either one. And that you can still do that, but they've also added a seven and three split where you have to be in the sleeper at least seven hours and then take the other three hours either off duty or in the sleeper too. And, uh, and, or you can even do a seven and a half and a two and a half split. You know, as long as the two equal 10 hours, that's fine, but it can't be any less than seven hours. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, because okay. you're, you're looking for that rest period. Right, yeah. right. And, um, and so we want to make sure that drivers understand that, that you know, basically it's eight and two or seven and three or seven and a half and two and a half, something like that, will we'll, uh, we'll be okay for the split sleeper berth. And, um, and then what's, what's really good about this is they've also added that um, either one of those time frames will not count against your 14-hour clock. So like right now, the eight-hour part of the eight and two split, the eight hours stops the 14-hour clock. But the two-hour does not. But when they implement this on September the 29th, the eight-hour stops the 14-hour clock, and the two-hour time frame stops the 14-hour clock. Okay. So that's giving the driver a little more flexibility uh, with their hours. And, and, you know, if you're going into a, a situation where maybe there's a bad wreck, you know, and it's going to take a while to get it cleaned up or rush hour traffic or whatever, you could stop and take a, a three-hour break, nap, you know, or off-duty period, and then let that get out of the way, and then plus that stops your 14-hour clock. You know, so that makes it a lot better. All right. Well, we're looking forward to that, and obviously more information will be coming, uh, especially in regards from safety and the technology piece of it with our, our telematics devices. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, the other area we wanted to make sure we cover is uh, lots of things that we keep we, we continue to see as we uh, work through our incident reporting is um, trailer doors, the swing trailer doors, and just mm-hmm. some, uh, some damages that we've uh, continued to have. And, and you want to offer us some advice and some training and some aspects, some things we want to think of uh, in regards to those areas where we're having those incidents. Absolutely. Um, as everybody knows, we've got two different types of trailer securement on the doors now. We've got the old either chain or, or, or um, hook system where you pin it back and you hook the chain to another piece of metal and it holds it, hopefully. Um, and then we've got the new um, style, which is called the uh, Trust Lock Door Securement System on the Wabash trailers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, those work really well as long as, as they are not worn in certain locations, but we'll kind of get to that as we go through this. But year to date, we've had approximately 68 accidents where trailer doors were actually torn off of the trailer. And, um, about half of the doors were torn off while backing and then the other half were torn off while pulling out from the dock and, um, knocking the trailer door off is an expensive time consuming accident. Um, and not only do you have to figure the cost of repairing the door, but many times that door, when it swings around, it, it, you know, damages the customer's building or some kinds, you know, handrails or whatever for the steps, (laughs) or it actually gets into another truck's trailer or cab, 
of the truck, or it can get into the personal vehicles on the lot. So then you got to factor in that cost. So so just repairing the hinges on the door is not all that's uh, uh, concerned with getting a trailer door fixed, you know, when it comes off and hits something. And uh, so there's a few ways to help prevent trailer door accidents. Um, number one, always get out and look the area over before you start backing into the dock. Make sure nothing's changed. Even if you've delivered there a hundred times, things can change, you know. So you always want to make sure nothing's there. And besides, you're, you're already out opening the doors anyhow. So you might as well take a good gander around what's going on and if anything's in the way or anything's changed and before you start backing. And then you always want to use that red door strap before you open those doors, especially if there's a load on. We ask that you use it loaded or empty because you just never know. And uh, you open that door on the right while you're standing behind the one on the left. And you keep that door on the left latched and, uh, and use that red door strap. Open it, make sure nothing's going to fall out. Then you take the red door strap off and go ahead and proceed to open your doors. And uh, we've had drivers over the years have told us that's the best safety uh, uh, thing that they've ever been given. You know, it's, it's saved them a lot of times with freight trying to fall out of the truck. And uh, when facing the rear of the trailer, stand behind that left door, like I said, while it's still latched and um, while you're opening just the right door and uh, make sure the doors are secured before backing by you know pushing them back if they're chained make sure they're pushed as back as far as you can and hook the chain make sure they're not you know going to come out make sure there's nothing damaged on the chain or the hook that it hooks to and then uh, that's where carrying a couple of tarp straps would always come helpful when you're finished and you're coming back I always write a DVR up on it if there's something wrong with that door so we can get it fixed before um, the next guy has it and he winds up not having tarp straps or or doesn't notice the defect and he winds up tearing the door off um, always back slowly and watch both your mirrors when backing um, a lot of the doors that get torn off are the right door on the trailer and that's because drivers are, are concentrating on that left mirror and they're not watching the right mirror as they back and that door comes undone or unlatched and then it swings over and hits something and uh, winds up getting torn off um, get out and look as many times as needed just to make sure there's nothing in the way make sure you're not going to hit anything especially in close quarters and I know we've got some locations where they actually back inside of a building and that's really a challenge so you want to get out and look quite often there and make sure you're not going to hit anything and uh, the time it would take you to get out and look as many times as needed to keep from hitting something that far outweighs the time it would take for you to have to deal with an accident and all that. You know? yeah. So you're not going to lose a lot of time. I'm, I'm guessing time is, is the biggest factor in that, of just how much mm -hmm. time is it going to take. Mm -hmm. But from the amount of time that I see the, on the the events that we're getting in and the more, many times we've had to communicate back and forth, you know, mm -hmm. the, the driver and then the, the team that's taking in the information takes a whole lot more time, oh, I yes. can tell, just in the, in the lag of information of when those happen. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's time that doesn't need to happen, you know. And, uh, you know, we would rather you be spending your time doing more productive things than having to call in an accident. Yeah. You know, so. Um, and also on the TrustLock Plus system on the new trailers that we're getting from Wabash, um, there's, there's two, I call them little, little um, pins that you have to push in, you know, especially the back one. It's got to be pushed in first, and then you take the handle and stick that one in and then turn the handle to lock it. If you don't have that back pin pushed in, that front handle pin is not going to hold it. You know, it might, you might think it will, but it is not going to hold it. And, and I've went and tested a few of them, and if you don't push that back pin in, then when you lock that front pin, you can shake the door with your hand, and it will come open. You know, and a lot of, a lot of drivers think that it's secured because they haven't taken the time to make sure that that back pin is pushed in first before they latch the handle. So always make sure that, that when you're latching one of those truss lock plus door systems that both the pins are pushed in and before you latch the handle. Before pulling out of a dock, make sure that both doors are still latched. Um, a lot of times the bouncing 
or vibration from the forklifts going in and out of the trailer will cause the latch the latches to come undone, especially on the chains or the, the little metal hooks or whatever. Um, the truss lock door systems, if they're if they're latched well to begin with, they'll they'll stay secured. It's it's the chains and the and the and the little latches, the metal latches that don't stay secured all the time. So we want to make sure and and there again that right door is the one that gets torn off most often. And that's because drivers, you know, they walk back to kick the chalk out on the left side of the trailer, but they don't do anything on the right side of the trailer. So they even look, you know. And then when they start pulling out, that door swings open and gets against another truck or the building or whatever and gets torn off. And also on the truss lock plus door system, <clears throat> excuse me. The, uh, the grommet where that one pin goes in where the handle's at, it can become worn over time. So you want to watch that. If you see one that's, that's getting worn and it's kind of loose, write that up on the DVR and it can be replaced. That can be replaced really quick and it's really cheap. And uh, we want to get that done. And that's how you get stuff fixed is to write that uh, defect up on a DVR. I'm glad you said that because I, I have heard that as far as some some frustrations over time as far as those, like, well, they're, they're kind of worn out. But it mm -hmm. is a DVIR item that can be fixed and replaced pretty quickly, I, I would, my guess. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That's good. That's good yeah. information yeah. for everybody to have. Thank you. And, um, and then also when you finish loading and you're pulling out, pull out slowly. Watch both mirrors again. You know, keeping an eye on those doors, even if you've um, checked both doors for securement, still watch the doors to make sure they don't come unlatched. And then when you get pulled out far enough to where you can shut those doors, do so as soon as possible. And um, and if you find any defects, write that DVR up. We really need that. Okay. All right. Well, appreciate that because, mm -hmm. you know, our goal is to, to minimize that as much as possible because um, we do see those quite often. Absolutely. Uh, last piece we want to cover, some good news and some, some, some work that you've been putting in uh, with the FMCSA uh, for uh, a number of weeks now and starting to see some success. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing some, some, some hard numbers come out soon based on the work that you put into it uh, for the company and for our drivers. So if you'd like to give us some updates on the crash preventability program you've, got, okay. you've been working through. Okay, I sure will. Um, uh, this is something that the DOT just started. And we can go back and, and look at accidents that happened. Uh, after August the 1st of last year. And if they meet the DOT requirements and criteria, we can actually challenge those accidents as long as we have a police report. And that actually, you know, states that, you know, the crash was not our fault. And, uh, and or at least the, the description shows that it wasn't our fault. Then uh, we can go in and do a challenge on those accidents. And we, we don't really get them taken off of the crash basic as a DOT reportable crash. But when they're found to be non-preventable by the DOT, then they don't count against us on the uh, crash basic uh, numbers. That's basically what we're looking at. They're still going to be there as a DOT recordable, but they're not going to count against us for the, the number, you know, and uh, that's, that's paramount right mm -hmm. there. But I, I would like to ask drivers that, you know, when they have a crash, anytime there's a crash with another vehicle, that we need the police called, number one. And then, um, you know, pictures, they're, they're worth a thousand words. So if you can get me some pictures of the impact area on our truck and, and everything, that would help tremendously, too. Because yeah, you mentioned that depends on where the, where the other vehicle hits us. So if you can get a picture before anything is moved, that, that takes a, a lot of the subjectivity out of it yes. from the report itself. So yes. that's good. Yes. That's good. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you mentioned the CSA scores. We're, we're, we're recording this at the very beginning of September, so we're, we're anxiously awaiting for our August CSA scores to come out and hopefully have some better news uh, this next yeah, time we, we, we get together and can re and report out those, uh, especially on the crash side, because those, hopefully those will come through. But on those other basics, where, especially on the unsafe driving, we've, we've been able to, we've, we've, we've crept up in regards to our percentage. Yes, yes. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why I'm working really hard 
to, to get these accidents included as a non-preventable accident so it doesn't count against us on our crash basic because we're at 61% on our crash basic right now and the threshold is 65%, just like the unsafe driving basic. So we do not need two basics over the Mm-mm, DOT never threshold. Had it. No. no, no. And if we do, we're going to see uh, more attention from the DOT, um, and we do not want that. So... I agree. Well, thanks for staying on top of everything and, and working with us through that. Yeah. Uh, before we leave, we wanted to um, address a question that came up, or uh, I guess a call that came up from a someone that came through our podcast line, hit the ask button, and uh, had a call to us. Uh, and he is not our first time caller; he is a second time caller. So we're oh, we're glad to, we're glad that somebody's continued to listen and wanting to to engage in that way. And so we wanted you to be able to address his call, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Sure. Hi, yes, my name is Justin. I'm from Coleman. I was just listening to your podcast about the compound effect and and the challenge. And I'm a driver trainer myself. I would like to challenge all the driver trainers out there to uh, to a compound effect about asking your drivers or their coworkers to bring in their uh, 10-day logbooks. I know y'all talking to John Cole last podcast before this one about how just something so insignificant as just 10-day logs. I went through and I've asked all my co-workers here, which is only 16 drivers, to bring that in so I could visibly see it and check it off so I know that every one of mine in Coleman has at least a 10-day log. But like I said, I would like to challenge all the other driver trainers if they would do at least, you know, a couple of trucks, 16 trucks like I did here at my own would would help our company in in a compounding effect, each driver individual, uh, so we can go through the scales and uh, get the green line. That's just my thought. Thank you for taking my call. That that is great, Justin, and I appreciate your um, your thoughts on ways to help First Fleet and um, and just that that simple you know making sure that the drivers have ten days of blank logs and and their visor card. I, I would I would even include you know the insurance cards you know and and everything that should be in the permit book. That'd be a great thing to to check. And uh, and I really appreciate you doing that. And, and I would like to, to send this out along with his request that, that the trainers would, would do that when they could at their locations. And uh, just every little bit helps. And, and like I always say, CSA, um, the numbers on CSA are um, uh, things that the drivers do or don't do. It has nothing to do with what the company does or doesn't do. It's all about the drivers. So the more our drivers get in tune with the CSA, and and try to find ways to reduce the numbers the better we'll all be yeah and as you mentioned every little bit helps and then as justin referenced uh, that he's listening to the compound effect and you know it is little steps at a time if that's something that can be a, a small practice and i think we discovered that on the compound effect it's seemingly insignificant small steps that have a big impact uh in the future so Absolutely. that is great so we're glad that justin uh called in and, and, and noted that for us but uh, john appreciate your time and uh for being on here today glad to be here and uh, I want to wish everybody uh, the best. And uh, as always, uh, stay safe and take care. And, and uh, thanks for joining us. 